Once we rise to the top of an organization, we can set the culture. But until we get there, we are constantly being squeezed from the top and, and then the demands of our team. And we're just, and so part of being a, certainly a, a lower level manager or leader is to actually be able to push back on the demands from both sides to keep some space for us. Welcome to Management Development Unlocked, where you will learn how to nurture a world-class management team. And now your host, Eric Gerard. Welcome back to Management Development Unlocked. I am super glad you're here. Hey, big news, my book, Lead Like a Pro, The Essential Guide for New Managers, launched recently and it hit Amazon number one bestseller and number one new release. You can get your copy at amazon.com or my website, gerardtrainingsolutions.com. Please remember to support the show by subscribing, commenting, and sharing. Today, I am very pleased to have Nick Smith with me. Nick, welcome to the show. You have an eclectic background. Who are you and what do you do? Eclectic is an interesting word, but um, yes, I, I help leaders to deal well with the people around them so that they can have the influence that they want and get stuff done. And typically it's technical people who have may have been promoted into a role and they're brilliant at what they do and they're not so good at managing the people because people are weird and different and I come in and help them. And, you know, I've experienced it a lot in the IT industry before I came into this game, but also in finance and law and, and other, other places like that, people who have been removed from their field of expertise to lead people. So I coach them outdoors because it makes for super productive conversations and, and it's an environment that suits me. I love being outdoors and I spent many happy years leading groups in an outdoor education context. And, you know, for me, walking or biking or sailing, I, I love that kind of stuff. And I think some of that enthusiasm then rubs off on the people that I'm coaching. And hopefully eventually with my wife, it'll rub off on our daughter who's six and we'll get her into that sort of stuff. So yeah, I help leaders to do the leading stuff of people and I do it in an outdoor kind of context. Right on. Well, anybody who's been listening to the show for any length of time knows that I love the outdoors. For fun, I took my daughter Emmy mountain biking this weekend I'm a scuba instructor, so I absolutely, anything in, on, under, around, near, water, mountains, all of that. So I think this is going to be a fun conversation. Yeah. So our focus today is the importance of positive mindset for new leaders. And I've got a few questions for you on this. The first one seems kind of natural based on your intro, and that is how do you see leading outdoors as being similar to leading in business? I suppose for me, leading outdoors is about helping people to come together as a team and achieve some kind of shared objective, which is pretty much what we're doing in business. And and the leader's role is to is to maybe outline what we're doing and where it is that we're going and what we're trying to achieve, which works in both contexts. And the, the nuts and bolts and the detail might be different. But ultimately, it's about helping people to see a little bit of what is possible and where we could get to when we apply ourselves and and helping them to get into that positive mindset of we can do this. It, it might be hard, but we can do this. And I think there's all that bit about helping people to raise their their awareness of what is possible and then go and do it. 
And so it's, it is very similar. The vision, the transparency, let's go get a result. And you set off and, and hopefully people follow. But I think there's also an element, certainly in the outdoor context for me, that's about keeping people safe. And I was thinking, you know, okay, if I keep people safe in the outdoors, how does that translate? But then actually, people need to feel like they are in a safe space before they do anything at work. And and very much the whole piece around psychological safety and can I can I fit here and can I give my best here? Do I feel like it's okay? Is a huge part of leading in business as well. And so I think there's definitely that correlation because ultimately we want people in an outdoor context, I want people to yeah, enjoy the experience and achieve something, but also recognize that I can do this. I could come back and do this myself. My great love in the outdoors is that someone is so inspired that they want to do it without me having to be there and they start to lead themselves. And I, I suspect that rubs off on me in business. I want people to grow and develop and expand their horizons so that they can work without me. Oh, I love that. So, so much to talk about in there. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that piece about possibility and thinking about what's possible and, and just thinking, you know, you don't have to live inside of a little box. Like you can, you can think way beyond that. And, you know, you, you think you can only see as far as your headlights, but you can actually, there's so much more out there in front of you that you could do. Yeah. And I think, I think in an outdoor context that it becomes really quite obvious because, you know, I do this climb and then my focus shifts to the next climb along in the crag and, oh, I wonder if I could do that. But actually, if we, if we lead people well and help them to recognize what they've just achieved, then it helps them to think, and what else could I do? But yeah, for me, possibilities is a huge thing. And in fact, I was talking today with a group. One of the things that really frustrates me is people who just shut off to possibilities and just go, well, this is it. That's, yeah, Ugh, winds me up a bit. But hey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I remember I was, I was teaching a, a scuba class, an open water scuba class, the introductory class. And there was a father-son taking the class together. And the son was maybe 13. He was, he was, he was on the young, younger end, not the, not the youngest I've ever seen, but he was on the younger end. And physically, scuba is pretty demanding. And he was having trouble getting his gear on and stuff. And he just, started to, he just started to shut down. And his dad went down and got right in his face and said, do not shut down. Come on. Do not shut down. Let's go. Keep moving. Keep moving. And that was actually effective, you know, kind of jolting him out of that and, and just keeping him from, from cocooning in was, was pretty important. And I, I see parallels with that with folks at work, where especially when, when people are, are bombarded by change, by too much change, they just they cocoon in and they say, forget it, that's it, I'm overloaded. And that's, that's not a productive response. Yeah, just as you started talking there, I was thinking, yeah, in a change process, that's the big danger that okay, it's being done to me, I can't impact it, I'll just stop. And then the danger is we don't notice and they withdraw further and further and then we've lost them. So, yeah, noticing that it's happening and catching it at the right moment and somehow jolting them back out of it is huge wherever we are. 
So yeah, definitely. Yep. I love that. Well, I've got two questions around involvement and motivation. Okay. So the first is, how can you motivate folks who want to be involved? I suppose when people want to be involved, that's, it's a great start. The danger, I, in fact, I was talking to someone recently, a leader who said, well, I don't need to do anything to motivate that group because they're all motivated. But yet the group, when I talked to them, said, he never, he never encourages us. He never motivates us. And, and actually, the two sides just weren't lining up. But I think when they start off motivated, we have to keep them motivated and keep them focusing on what is it about this that motivates you? And I think we are all unique. Yes, we've, we've painted a vision of this is where we're going to and this is how great it will be. But the particular rewards for each individual might be subtly different. And so I think I, I would say I, I lead things in the first instance, talking to everyone, and then I manage the individuals to keep them motivated. Because, you know, okay, so we're walking up to the top of Cairn Gormand, and one of them will be motivated by the challenge of just getting there. And one of them wants to see the views when we're on the top. And one of them's interested to see what might we encounter on the way? You know, will there be deer? Will there be mountain hares or whatever? And these are the things that I will speak to each individual about. And it's kind of the same in business that we're each motivated by little kind of different rewards. And so how can I help keep people focused on the bit that motivates them? I think I subscribe to the, the, the Daniel Pink model as well. He said, for particularly for thinking tasks, people are motivated by autonomy, mastery, and purpose. Autonomy, how can I give them some degree of choice in where we're going or which particular path we take to get to that summit? And, and mastery, how can I help them to get better at things so that they recognize it and feel more confident and bring their A game more often as well as having maybe new skills to devote to whatever the work is. And then purpose, why are we doing it? And I think this was brought home to me quite clearly one time. I was sailing a laser two on Loch Long. I can still clearly see it. I'd gone out for a sail with this. I can't remember if Debbie was a trainee or just another instructor. And in my head, we were just going for a gentle sail. But then once we were out there, oh, let's have a bit of fun. Let's put the spinnaker up. Let's do this. Let's do that. Let's try these things. Let's, and I was playing. Oblivious to the fact that she was just holding on for dear life. Then, of course, we capsized. And, and for me, it was just a bit of a laugh. And for her, it was like, it was the end. And it, it really made me realize, okay, I haven't listened to what it is that she's wanting She's not enjoying it. She doesn't want to be here. And in fact, I think it took her a number of years to get back into sailing because I put her off so much. And and I, hey, I don't like failing, full stop. But that was an object lesson. And you need to listen to your people and find out what makes them tick and then use that to best advantage so that you can you can help them to get what it is that they want whilst doing the thing that you want them to do. So, yeah, what are they made of? How are they unique? How can I use that? Yeah, absolutely. And there's so many parallels between the outdoors and, and all the sports that you and I are involved in and the office 
and and the cube farm that people work in, right? Yeah. Yes, there, there can be because I think anywhere we go, people are people, mm-hmm. and they react and they do stuff and they communicate and they disagree and whatever. It's just a different setting with maybe different goals and different ideas. So, yeah. Yep, absolutely. Well, okay, we've talked about the easy part. You know, how do we motivate folks who want to be involved? What about if you've got someone who refuses to get involved? They don't want to play this game. Ah, I suppose for me, it, it depends why they're refusing, what's behind that. And so I suppose some of that comes down to how well do I know the group that I'm working with? And typically in in an outdoor education context, you're given a group, maybe if you're lucky for a week, and by the end of the week, you start to get to know them. But often you're kind of searching in the dark. Whereas with the team that we work with, okay, the, the argument I'm getting back a lot now is, oh yes, but getting to know them takes time. But if we can find the time from somewhere, we can get to know them. We understand some of their drivers. And and hopefully then when they refuse to get involved or they, they dig their heels in, we've got some idea of what might be behind it. And it might just be, yeah, they've, they've had a bit of an off week. Or, yeah, I know they don't like that particular kind of task. Or maybe there's some deep-seated historical context that I will struggle to get past. And and so then there's a conversation in my head as to how much value there is in, you know, sitting with them and trying to talk them around and help them to to kind of see the benefits versus mm, actually they sound like they are set already. And then it's, okay, do I need them or how involved do I need them to be? In an outdoor context, I'm thinking, um, you know, for example, I take a group off abseiling. I need everyone to be at the crag because the only way I can keep them safe is if I can see them all. Fine. But then how much they participate in that is still down to their choice. And and often I would get them to, well, come up to the top of the crag and have a look at the view. And maybe I'd encourage them to then, yeah, come and clip in. You don't need to do anything beyond that. We're just trying to encourage them to take some steps in terms of what the group is doing, but still leave the choice with them. Because particularly for something like that that's quite scary, for me, the last thing I wanted to do was to force them. If I can solve conflict at a common interests level, then I don't have to invoke rights and I definitely don't have to wield power. Because once I wield power, I might get beyond today's obstacle but I just make tomorrow's obstacle that much bigger. So in in business, a bit similar. How much do I need them to get involved? Can they kind of sit on the sidelines and maybe join us when they're ready? You know, once they see, oh yeah, all the rest of the team is highly involved and actually they're making great strides forwards. Yeah, maybe I can just put aside my differences and come and play with whatever it is. But maybe I can I can just kind of leave them to their own device. The danger, of course, is that I devote so much of my energy to that one person that I then lose sight of what's the rest of the team doing. And as with all these tasks, I've got a responsibility to the whole as well as to the individual. So how can I keep that individual with the team and 
part of the team, but yet still giving them a degree of choice? Or do I just need to say, hey, we're moving to Alabama. You're either in or you're out. And sometimes it just has to come down to that because there are no other ways for them to to be with the team without being fully engaged. So as with a lot of leadership, it depends because we take each situation as it approaches and and with what we know and what we can find out. Yeah. I notice you're, you know, you've got an expression on your face that suggests maybe you're not with me yet. Tell me what you're thinking. What can you give me that I can work with? So, yeah. But hey, if they're just, I refuse, that's always going to be a struggle. You said you've got a six-year-old, is that right? Correct, yes. Yeah. I have twin 14-year-olds, girls. Okay. Yeah. Yes. And sometimes you run into that with at home as well. So you've got the out, the outdoor arena where you need to bring somebody along and give them give them some agency, give them some autonomy, mastery, and purpose. And then you've got the biz, the business environment, which is really easy. And then I bet a lot of folks listening will say, "Yeah, that happens with my teenagers too." Where it's like, "Look, we we have to move. We all have to do this together." But whenever you can, give agency and give give choice. I think is the the lesson I'm getting from you here. Yeah. And sometimes it comes down to the way we phrase things. Mm -hmm. Andy Bounds, the communications trainer, he's brilliant talking about you know, how we can how we deal with our kids can be how we deal with the people at work. And so I I will almost always now, when it's time for bed, right, Rebecca, do you want to walk upstairs to bed or do you want me to carry you? She has some choice, but the subtext is you're going to bed. Whereas if I say, <laughs> oh, do you want to go to bed? I know exactly what the answer is. Yeah, so, I'm yeah. still get I'm still getting caught in that when it comes to homework. Come on, you okay. want to do some homework? Come, come with me down no. to the office. We'll do some homework. No, I'm busy doing something else. All right, allow me to rephrase. <laughs> Let me rephrase. Yeah. That. All right. Oh, cool. Yes. But yeah. My next question for you, sir, is how do the twin roles of leader and manager play out in the outdoor context? So we're we're separating leadership and management. That ought to be good. Yeah, I think, you know, for me, I think the difference is about where we focus. And and for a leader, it, I would describe it as being the person who focuses on where it is that we're going, where we want to be in three hours, three weeks, three months' time. Whereas a manager's role is to deal with the here and now. You know, okay, we want to be at the top of that mountain by lunchtime, but actually here and now, I need to deal with Bob, who's just gone over his ankle, or, yeah, Cindy, who's just realised that her boots aren't tied up and she's struggling to bend over because she's stiffening up. Okay. And and actually, you know, the, the leadership bit in the outdoors is, is that vision casting. You know, Bill Hybels describes it as, Know the way, show the way, and go the way. And, you know, I've got quite a clearer picture in my head of being in the Cairngorm Mountains with probably 11 or 12-year-olds. And I've said, this is where we're going. This is the path we're taking. This is what we'll experience. Let's go. And setting off. And then, as is my want, every now and then turning around to see, are they still following me? 
And then when I notice, oh, hang on, they all seem to have stopped. Then I have to click into, right, manager mode. I need to go and deal with whatever the current issues kind of are. And I maybe do a bit of motivation and hand out some chocolates and tie some more laces or whatever it is that is needed in the moment. Because, yeah, managers are dealing with where are we at now? What is today's jobs? What is this minute's jobs? Leader, okay, where is it that we're going? Where do we want to be? Let me inspire. Let me encourage. Let me motivate as we go. Oh, and let me manage in the uh, individual moment and deal with the the individuals. Um, who is it? Marcus Buckingham talks about um, the one thing you need to know about leadership. You know, what is what is common to everyone? Use that to best advantage. And, and he says what's common is fears and therefore paint a vision of a brighter future. This is where we're going to and it'll be great in these ways. Manager, find what's unique to people and use that to best advantage. Where are each of the individuals at? Whether it's on the hillside or it's in the task that we're doing or the change that we're going through. Excellent. Good stuff. That's an interesting way to parse out leadership from management. I haven't heard it that way. So thank you for that. And my last question, how much emphasis do you need to place on leading yourself? Well, you know, as a servant leader, I need to put myself last and look after the needs of my group or not. I used to kind of think like that in my early days as a leader that, you know, I had to be completely selfless and, and think first about everyone else. And then I went and did my mountain leader training. 25 years ago maybe and yeah apart from all the navigation and all the camping stuff and whatever I was taught the one thing that sticks out almost word for word was the trainer saying you need to look after yourself first because if you come a cropper if something happens to you you can't lead the rest of the group and keep them safe and and I was thinking yeah okay and then went and started living it out in practice. And in fact, there's, yeah, a, another fairly vivid memory of being in a forest. We just, in fact, no, we were walking in to a climbing session with a, a bunch of, of young people. And one of them, a boy, because it always is, had wandered kind of a little off the path and been kind of kicking up stuff and had kicked the wasp's nest and oh hang on he's just kicked a wasp's nest <clears throat> and and then it's very much about okay I need to look after the group oh but I need to look after me as well let me let me cover myself so that I'm not going to get stung now let's lead the group out because if I'm being distracted by lots of stinging things around me I won't focus on the group and there have been various instances where I've I've noticed okay I need to look after myself and in a in a physiological sense in a burnout sense in a just basic tiredness if I'm not on my A game I can't lead the people with an A game and I will make poorer decisions and make them slower and not notice the the little cues that I should be picking up on and and so actually it's not it's not about a selfish leadership thing. It's about if I want to serve my people well, I first need to look out for myself. So, yeah, I think in both contexts, you know, I said in the outdoors, I need to keep people safe. Yeah, I need to 
look after people. Yeah, I when I'm tired, I can become impatient, shall we say, and sometimes my responses are instant without filters and without thinking. And that's not helpful. And doesn't make people feel like they're in a safe space because I have responded in a way that they maybe didn't expect, in a way that maybe wasn't as kind as it could have been. And I know all it takes is for me to get a decent amount of sleep. So yeah, look after me, then I'll be in a good place to look after them. You know, I I have often thought, so my background is Silicon Valley, 20, 20 years in Silicon Valley, and I saw managers and leaders kill themselves to try to keep up. And, you know, I would get emails from my boss at four in the morning and at 11 at night. And I was right there with him. I, for a while, when, when I worked at Apple, my phone was my alarm clock. It would wake me up at six. And the first thing I would do, I, my eyes weren't even clear yet. I couldn't even really see, would be to check email and see what, you know, what fire was burning that day. And it's like, you know, that's just, that's just a bad way to lead. It's a bad way to set an example because you're just grinding yourself down to nothing. How are you, how are you going to give anything to your team? Yeah. And, and I think, you know, once we rise to the top of an organization, we can set the culture, but until we get there, we are constantly being squeezed from the top and, and then the demands of our team. And we're just, and so part of being a, certainly a, a lower level manager or leader is to actually be able to push back on the demands from both sides to keep some space for us. But it's when when people more senior are implying that they expect us to do extra hours all day and night, then yeah, you know, the good organisations are starting to say, okay, we will have IT disable your systems after nine o'clock at night. So you've you actually can't technologically, you can't send any emails or, or whatever. But the impatient bosses still find a way around. But but to be able to say the hard things that, no, actually, I've blocked out this time to do this that's important to me. And I'm not going to answer your email for an hour. Oh, hang on. But, but yeah, it, it's finding out, okay, what I was going to say, what can I get away with? But how far can I push back before my bosses start to complain that I sent you an email, I sent you three emails and you've not responded to them? Yeah, okay. Whereas we might get away with if it's only one. What time can we reclaim to look after ourselves so that we're not constantly at their beck and call? But yeah, it's a culture thing. Yeah, and it's they used to call me Mr. Work-Life Balance. Because I would insist on on powering down and going and being with my family or taking weekends off, and yeah, it was it was a countercultural thing to do. Yeah, I think these days, particularly in the UK, the whole mental well-being has now come into the public conscious, and we're better at it. But it's still a problem. We'll see. But anyway, yeah. sorry, I, I jumped in on you. That's okay. No worries. Let's talk about you for a little bit. Tell us about okay. the GC index. What is the GC oh, index? Okay. <clears throat> so the, the Game Changer Index has been defined or designed by people down in London to help you identify where where your energies sit for different bits of the business process. So it's not it's not looking at who your personality is, but but where do your energies lie? Are you the person that is excited by generating the ideas or about 
finding some pattern within the ideas and creating a strategy from it or or actually implementing those ideas and putting them into practice or polishing and perfecting the end product so that actually it's something we can be proud of. And so you have these four different types and and the playmaker who can kind of speak the same language as all four of them and um, bring them all together. And, and in many ways, it's revolutionary because it helps us, you know, it's a direct fit onto, okay, here's the life cycle of a product. And in fact, there was someone that I, I ran it with a month ago, and I just had a voicemail from him today saying, yeah, this has revolutionized my thinking about where I need to devote my time and energy. Because like anything, if we're pouring energy into something that actually doesn't excite us, we don't do as well. And so the GC index says, okay, you know, where do your energies lie? What is your skill set? Add those together. That's the impact that you have. And so, yeah, it's, it's a great tool. It's only been around for a few years, but I'm finding it's brilliant for leaders to work out, okay, you know, where should I position myself? And what about the rest of my top team? Because, okay, we're at the start of a new process. Who are the folks that are most game-changing? Let's get them to lead this part of the process because it excites them. And I'm not, you know, that's not me. Fine. Oh, now it's my turn because I can find the patterns. I can make sense of it. And then it goes around. So, yeah, new tool, but definitely worth investigating. And you can find it at thegcindex.com. Thegcindex.com. Awesome. That's the one. Cool. Well, Nick, it's time to wind down. Thank you so much. I enjoyed this conversation. I loved weaving back and forth between outdoor pursuits and business and a little family. That, That worked really well. So if people want to talk to you more, where can they find you? Uh, so my website is squarepegscoaching.com. In fact, yeah, squarepegscoaching, like that, if that's the right way around. And you can find me on there, read a little bit more about the kind of coaching that I do, and contact me through that. Awesome. Well, thanks for listening. Please subscribe, comment, share, and connect with me on LinkedIn. Pick up my new book, Lead Like a Pro, The Essential Guide for New Managers, available on Amazon and GerardTrainingSolutions.com. We will catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Management Development Unlocked. Want more? Get a ton of insider tips and tools at GerardTrainingSolutions.com. 